You're listening to Design Talk. This episode is a pod from the Business Analytics Educators Forum. Welcome to the Business Analytics Educators Forum. I am Christina Phillips, and today's episode is an online panel discussion, and we're going to be talking about the future of work for business analytics and the impact of AI. Um, So I'm very pleased today to welcome um, our panel of four industry professionals who are going to talk to us about the future world of work, especially in view of um, things like AI being brought in and the analytics revolution. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their work. But first of all, I'm going to say we have Marilena, Bala, Luke and James. Thank you all so much for volunteering your time to come today. The first question that I'm going to ask is quite an easy one. Um, So if you could in turn tell us about yourselves and your job role. And I guess I shall start with who's first on my screen, which is Luke. Wonderful. Uh, Always nice to go first. And I'll I'll save you (laughs) the hassle. I'll pick someone at the end of mine to go next. Oh, that's nice of you. (laughs) Yeah, it's easier than you having to decide. Um, I mean, I I currently work at UBS, so in financial services. I've only spent a year in sort of investment banking capital markets. So UBS recently acquired Credit Suisse, um, you know, uh, which means we've got 100,000 people in the firm now, which is quite a few. Uh, over 1,600 data scientists um, spread all around the world, primarily in America, the UK, Switzerland and uh, APAC. So a number of hubs in uh, Asia, Pacific, including China, where we're growing a presence. Uh, my job, I am a data ethics and Gen, I, Gen AI risk specialist. Uh, what that means is anyone's guess, including mine. Um, uh, but I've been working with. Uh, how do we move from policy and principles to implementing data ethics at scale across our AI and uh, modelings uh, that we're doing across the firm, and, but also looking at what the risks uh, presented by generative AI and uh, that wave. And we've seen some really good movement on um, how that's being received across the firm. So, yeah, who knows what I'll do next? But that's what I've been doing. I will pick Bala. Uh, hello. Just a disclaimer, whatever conversation we are having right now is very specific to our our views of talking to peers, nothing to do with the organization that we are in. Uh, We don't want to get into trouble. So I'm Bala. I currently look at TJX as an architect for low-code platform. Again, AI is flowing into low-code platform. So that's one of the space. Uh, Myself, James, Luke, we all are part of uh, For Humanity group, which is basically trying to build a certification body for AI assurance for UK, US, uh, and everywhere. Uh, And uh, as Luke said, one of my uh, role is to classify the AIs into risk categories and then understand the risk and periodically review the risk and, you know, make sure that the business gets value of using AI for its right use. So that's my role. Uh, James, let me tag you. Thanks, Bala. Um, nice to meet you all. So I'm uh, James Winters. Um, I've got two aspects to the role that I'm currently in at Deeper Insights. Uh, Deeper Insights is an AI consulting organization. Um, so I work in, in one breath with, with clients, helping them to build uh, strategies and uh, solutions to solve their problems. Um, also with a, with a focus on, on AI governance and assurance there. Um, helping them to build out policies and processes and whatnot. Uh, and then the other aspect to my role is more internally facing, 
Uh, so, so more recently, I've started to manage our internal policies and processes in the governance space there. Um, prior to this, I was at IBM for a number of years, uh, where I was quite heavily involved in, in this space as well, but particularly from a community aspect, uh, which I think is a, is a really interesting area, especially when we, we speak of um, you know, academia, academia and academic groups and things like that. I think community is really important. Um, and just in terms of academia, um, I first started looking at this space uh, as an undergraduate with a, with a focus on politics. Uh, so I wrote a politics dissertation on, on it and uh, I'm completing a part time PhD uh, on a topic with a law focus at the minute. So uh, really keen on bringing in those um, diverse uh, viewpoints into the topic area uh, past the purely technical. I think it's important to have that multi stakeholder view. And then uh, I need to pass it on as well. Yeah, I guess that, that leaves me. So uh, I'm Adelena Kranika. I'm head of data innovation in Experian, which very broadly means that everything that doesn't fit nicely, neatly in a lot of other areas comes to us. Um, so essentially, my teams have access to a lot of different uh, types of data, and we use analytics, we use machine learning models, and so on to help both our organization, but other financial organizations as well, make sense of the data that they have and have a um, clearer view of consumers, of the UK economy and so on. Uh, my background is mathematics. I've studied mathematics in Greece as an undergrad. I've done operational research um, here in the UK when data science wasn't a thing. It was uh, quite before, before that term was around. Um, and then essentially went into financial services, modeling and analytics quite passionate about having these discussions with educators. My team gives a lot of presentations to universities. Christina, you've invited me to talk to your students as well. So I do think that it's very important to continuously collaborate with the academia as well, because that's a good way to bring, bring in new ideas. As a disclaimer, same as Bala, a lot of the opinions are going to be my opinions, but hopefully still quite interesting. Thank you so much, all of you. Yeah, I was going to reiterate that one. This is the opinions of the people who are here as their own opinion and not the opinion of the company for which they are working. Just to make sure we can record it and we don't have any problems because you guys have such valuable insight for the educator community and we very rarely get to hear your voices. Um, and I have to thank Annabella for this idea because I stupidly, although I've got all these contacts, just didn't even think of it. And Alabama was like, why don't you get some of your amazing friends in the room to talk about AI and, and what work's going to look like in a few years time? So what, one thing I would say before we I ask a big question, which I'm sure you've all got quite a lot of thoughts on, is that the people in the room are going to be people. Some of them are going to be doing business analytics education. Some of them are going to be doing management education and they have to teach business analytics as part of that. And some of them are going to be people who are interested in employability and the future of work and what their students need to understand, what they're going to be grappling with when they go out there. So just to let you know that you've got that quite broad mixture of people who are in the room so that when you're kind of developing your answers, you know that you're not just looking to a very highbrow business analytics audience. OK, so the next question is the big one. Um, what changes do you think due to the integration of analytics and particularly AI into firms? are the most pressing for both firms and educators to address. Who would like to take that one first? I can give a start. Uh, okay, so, thank you, Bala. <laughs> and I'm sure Luke and James and uh, Karina will bring their own uh, perspective. So 
as 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 we all know whether we like it or not we are surrounded by technology uh, gone were the days where we used to write on books right now everything is now you have a personal assistant chat gpt i'm pretty sure everyone is using it so there is no question of whether ai will improve productivity whether ai will improve your work style there is no question about that but the the, the challenge that we have right now is how can we ensure that it is not misused or misinterpreted and and there is a beautiful document by future privacy forum which i can find and share the uh, link which talks about the ramification of not having that lens uh, in 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 you know using those ai solution uh, problem structure is one thing like one of the one of the hype is oh let's chuck everything on gen ai and it will solve all our problem whereas the problem could be solved through a simple simple model so it is very key to not get carried away with the technology understand which problem you are trying to solve bring in the personas who are going to interact with that and then gradually take the technology decision don't find the problem to use the technology understand the problem structure the problem understand the users around it and then decide on the technology that's that's my uh, initial step uh, open to the floor i suppose just to build on what bala was um, speaking of there i think that um you know of course we need to improve digital literacy broadly um and and you know uh, teaching uh, young people to to code and do um yeah, build the technology is one thing um, but i think to to build on Bala's point there, I think that more education is needed on how, one, how the system works, but actually two, the way that it interacts with, with people in the world around it and how it can be used to solve problems. So not necessarily, um, you know, everyone doesn't need to know the technical ways that the system, system works. A foundational understandings are, of course, useful, but I think developing that view on the ways that it has historically interacted with with people and processes and, and businesses um, and what that shape could look like in the future as well from those different angles you know what's it look like from a political perspective from a, a legal perspective from an economic perspective i think that's really important to build that view out yeah that's that's actually a very good point james and coming from a large organization having worked with large organizations as well uh, in the past I would also say that one of the challenges is there's so many new tools, new um, fancy things out there, but there's also a lot of established processes. So you can see in the same organization, you can see a lot of data being on the mainframe and like also a lot of data scientists having access to cloud environments, having access to Gen AI tools and so on. So I think it is, it's also quite crucial to be able to balance the the tools that are already there, understand where it's suitable to use which tool and also start thinking how to integrate them um, more realistically within large organizations. Because it's always it's always cool to run after the, the next signing new thing, but we also need to keep data secure. We need to keep the organizations going while we're going through that evolution. So I think that's something else that's changing very rapidly now. All right, and I guess because everyone else is gone, I better go too. Uh, seeing you have to have to 
earn my, my place around this very uh, prestigious table. I mean, I think that the question is, like, how is it going to impact education, right? So when I when I think about this, first thing I'd say is, I don't know. Like, I'm a, um, I'm a guy that works with financial services, and so all of my thinking in this space is very much in my spare time as opposed to my job. But what I do know is I know what the technology can do, and I'm thinking about this in the context of our school as well. So the first thing is around cheating. So, you know, if we look at a model where our social sciences are graded on text responses, then you have someone which can generate a lot of text, right, which is troubling. But quite frankly, I wonder if you've already solved or at least have solutions or thinking that you're already progressing here because this isn't something that happened last week. This happened, you know, back in uh, the times when the sort of summer exams were happening for the end of the previous school year. You know, and we saw in America in particular, we saw a number of people's lives be ruined. Um, because of accusations of plagiarism and cheating and, um, you know, uh, university professors in particular hitting the news for making outlandish statements about uh, how much they could trust uh, different uh, detectors who are claiming or, or saying that they can detect generative AI writing. One thing I would definitely say is that all of those generate, all of those things try to check for generative AI text. They're all flawed. All of them don't work. There is no, there is no trust you should be putting in any tool that says I can detect if it's generative AI or not. You also probably shouldn't trust yourself. Um, so I wouldn't uh, think that believing that you'll be able to, to build a radar of people using ChatGPT or not, I, I think that is probably misplaced um, because you can ask ChatGPT to speak to you in different voices. You can ask it to insert errors. You can ask it to, to do all the things to very, very easily evade detection. So that's definitely something I would uh, be trying to think about is you're not going to get around this unless you go back to handwritten exams uh, or handwritten everythings, uh, which probably isn't going to happen. So I think the, the next challenge is, you know, how do you how do we incorporate this new technology into learning? And I guess that's the good thing. I've spoken to a number of providers who are you know producing tooling aimed at educators. And the things that I'm most excited about is how it can accelerate the preparation for um, educators before they get into classrooms and also during and as they are delivering um, their sort of learning messages. So, you know, th there are hundreds of different applications being built to generate lesson plans, to generate tests, to do learning path journeys, to try and provide different examples. You know, this can literally free up hundreds of hours of educators who are often quite stressed and quite stretched um, to be able to deliver their content. So I think the embracing of this uh, of this field you know, I, I don't know if that needs to be done immediately or if you want to wait six months or a year until you get some solidification in the providers in that space. Because right now I'm sure there'll be hundreds of different providers, like whereas in a year there'll probably be far fewer and those ones will probably be much better at delivering um, things you want. Um, but I would be thinking about uh, one thing I haven't seen as much of is how we can use this technology to really transform learning uh, journeys. So in particular, it's a call and response system, right? And if you think about what a teacher is, a teacher is a call and response system, uh, which has a lot of knowledge and imparts that knowledge, hopefully in an impactful way. Now, what the what the machine can't do is it can't really give it to you in an impactful way. All right. So you're always going to need a human if you want to try and win hearts and minds on, on educating a topic. Um, but in terms of a call and response mechanism that has a lot of knowledge, like we should be thinking about within our lessons, how do we go from, you know, a, a bunch of people who are having one person convey them wisdom to having a bunch of people who have that one person conveying wisdom, but also supported 
by an individual tool which will help them explore that subject or that topic to their own sort of level of desire. So I think one of the things I hear a lot about education is that it's very hard to keep that spark alive of people that are learning for learning's sake as opposed to learning to pass exams or to get qualifications. And I really think this is a potentially a very exciting way of giving people an ability to explore a topic in that direction they want to and at the speed that works for them. The tooling I've seen in the space is far less developed, um, I think, because it's a bit riskier and um, people are worried about us giving the wrong answers or teaching people the wrong things. Um, but I think that's a really exciting space for, for education. That wasn't the answer I was expecting, Luke. <laughs> You've got some great ideas about how we can do education better, which is fantastic. But what about what you see in your job and what you feel people need to know to be able to help you do what you do better oh gosh because thinking, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. one, you remember we, we are a lot of us are university educators so we're thinking and of course you're thinking about in context because you've just been in a meeting of, of <laughs> governors yeah. and primary school yeah um it sounds like you have uh, an investment invested interest there as well um so it, it's what what do our students need to be aware of if they say came and worked for your company what would make your life easier if they were aware of that when they come to work for you? Oh, yeah. Goodness. I mean, there's so many different components to which I would want to do this. Like assuming that they learn all the good things that they've learned in the past, I'd like them to understand how to think about the ethical questions surrounding the use of data and to consider those questions not as a pain in the bottom um, that will get in their way and slow them down, but as a enabler to, number one, not regretting what they do in 10, 15, 20 years time. And number two, you know, re recognizing that by thinking about the ethics of a solution, you can improve the performance, resilience, robustness, you know, transferability of that solution. Um, but the number one thing that popped in my head was I'd like them to understand how fallible generative AI is and how little you should trust it. But obviously, if we're teaching a data analytics course, you know, they're going to understand that a lot better than me. And um, so in terms of the ethics piece, like the the thing when I when I first started doing data ethics about five years ago, I was very focused on what tools do people need? How do we give them fairness metrics? How do we give them explainability packages? How do I make those reusable in DAG pipelines? Like how do I build reusable tooling? And also processes. I was like, if I ask them the right questions and make them answer them in documentation, then it will fix ethics. And I've completely changed my opinion on that. Like when I've joined UBS, I've put my entire focus on how do I win hearts and minds and create uh, a culture and awareness of these topics and why they're important. Um, because quite frankly, the process based stuff didn't work. So the what I would like what I'd like to see put in them is just the importance of this in a personal context. The the ones the examples I always go back to, number one is a joke, like everyone cares about their privacy until they need to access the Wi-Fi. Um, which is important, right? Like people should remember that uh, what people say they want and what they actually want are two different things, especially when it comes to ethics. But second is that, you know, the choices that we make, uh, what other stories do I give? Sorry. So one of it is about uh, scraping social media or publicly available web websites. So right now, as an investment firm, we scrape several websites many times a day to try and find signal about what's happening in markets, what's happening with our clients, many of whom are billionaires with large social media presence, um, what's going on with different companies and different trade agreements, like we're scraping social media. Now, a lot of people who use social media understand that it's public, but don't necessarily keep that front of mind. 
So for those individuals to know that we are scraping their data and using it for our profit every day uh, may not come across as the coolest thing to do, even though it's completely legal. So I often use that story to try and uh, ignite in people this idea that we have always constrained our profit for ethics, right? We no longer bop people over the heads and take their things. We don't use child labor in the majority of the world. We have decided to not make as much money as we could because we think it's ethically wrong. Uh, but however, these lines such as, you know, website scraping are yet to be drawn. And we do need to draw them. And also we need to understand which of our products is sort of operated in and around those lines. So trying to get that sense of, thinking and wonder and interest into data scientists is something that I would love to see. Sorry, how long was I talking for? Nine minutes. Goodness gracious. It's fine. You're actually leading me, beginning to lead me into the next question. But Bala's got something to say, so I'm going to ask Bala to speak next. (laughs) Yeah, just just to add on that, again, ethic is very, very subjective. So something of me being a British Asian might not be right, which might be completely normal for like uh, proper British out here. So inclusion, I think James hinted at that at the beginning of his introduction. Diverse inclusion thinking as part of your educational program for anything, anything with ethics. I, I right now being so much passionate with AI, uh, I if I I could go back to time and if I could relearn ethics in the right way. It would have been much, much easier because right I mean, the way how I le- learned was like just textbook. Yeah, these are the 10 chapters. These are the 10 rules. Just don't worry about understanding. Just get your pass mark and get your you know degree. But after coming and looking into potential impact, what is right, what is wrong, uh, putting that into a community perspective is very key. And I, I think some way of gamifying that or some way of educating in that manner. It's it's a mindset change. It's not like, okay, this is how I interpret stuff. And that is where the the legality of whether I can scrape the data, can I uh, look at what Luke is doing at 5 p.m. on a Thursday? Oh, I can see his LinkedIn feed or Twitter feed. Is it right thing to do? I don't know. But it's purely subjective. Uh, and and I think I think that's where translating any legality into, you know, an ethical uh, question becomes challenge and we need diverse input uh, to, to address that. Not not one person can come and say, yeah, this is what we need to do. And this becomes even more harder when we try to apply ethical challenge at the corporate value. So what I mean by that is say you have universities, mission, vision, and goals. How can you translate that mission, vision, and goal as part of your ethical chapter? What does that mean? It could be a fun exercise, right? But making people to go through that, agree on what that means, would be a lovely, lovely exercise that I would definitely recommend. Well, you're giving me ideas for lectures now. This is fantastic. Exactly what I was asked for. <laughs> And I'll show you my lecture notes, Bala. You'll love them. <laughs> EDI features top, yeah, and and ethics features top. <laughs> so I'm going to put out the next question, and I think I'll probably put it to Marilena first because she's not been saying much up to now, and then James. Um, 
So what skills do you think will be the most important in the future world of work? That's that's an interesting one, because I think going forward, we're going to need a wider range of skills and a wider balance of skills. So it's not just technical skills or it's not just communication skills. It's going to be that blend, that capability to translate algorithms into something simple for non-technical people, uh, the ability to understand the underlying algorithm and then be able to pick what's what's more suitable for the data, for the purpose that you're planning on using it, um, whether they're going to the ethics bit, whether the underlying terms and conditions or a contract allows you to do X, Y, and Z with, da- with the data, being mindful of some of the, the legalities in terms of data retention periods and so on. So I think it's going to require more well-rounded uh, view from individuals, and that's something that we've been seeing more and more when we deliver courses and lectures, guest lectures to universities. So we've done that. We've done one, it was actually three weeks ago with Strathclyde Uni. Pretty much like most of the, the groups did very, very well on the, the technical component in terms of getting the algorithm right, getting the right results, the results match the validation sample, everything was as expected. But when we moved to questions like what other data would you ideally want to have access to to give a more accurate response or what do you think was missing from the information that you were given that was one of the key differentiators between the groups that ability to to go a step further and go this is what i have i can i can turn out an answer based on that what i have in front of me but ideally i would have wanted to have access to x y and z because that would have helped me with producing a more accurate result or a more more stable response in terms of the future predictions. So I think that communication, that critical thinking is going to be quite crucial component in courses. Not just go back to Bala's example, here are 10 chapters. Doesn't matter how much you understand from them, just go through those 10 chapters, get them out of the way, get a very good grade. In order to get the good grade, you would need to be able to go, I understand what I'm being asked as a task. I can do that, not perfectly, but I can do that in a reasonable degree because data is never perfect. The algorithms are not always perfectly suited for the data that I have, but also I can flag what's missing, what I could have done better, what else I wanted access to, and so on. So it's it's that end-to-end understanding, think, critical thinking, and so on. What we would say consulting skills. Yeah, yeah. Or some people call soft skills and um, then other people go, yeah, well, well the soft because they're the hardest of the lot. And then I'm like, what's hard, not hard about soft? I mean, wh- why why is that word taken to mean something that's not as good? Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. Soft is, is a good thing. It's an important thing. And, and actually, it's the hardest thing. I, I came out with a. Uh, analogy earlier on the soft one is the one that sits through your fingers yeah the hard one's the one you can pick up easily so you know soft skills are sometimes the hardest to learn because they have to be practiced don't they they actually have to be taught through practice and we do see them being differentiators especially in like areas like ours that you get a lot of people with the technical skills but not everyone has the same ability to translate them the same ability to 
to plug in the gaps and so on. So I think I think it does make a difference from from the school level to the university level to the work environment. Brilliant. So James. Yeah, I suppose just uh, echoing um, what's just been said there, but but as well from the perspective of um, you know, yeah, different different perspectives. So I'm not from a technical background, um, and my technical knowledge um, ends quite quickly as soon as I get into a conversation with someone who who does have that background. Um, but what I've seen in you know, my own kind of progress and, and the way that I've approached things is that there really is um, you know, a big gap for the intersection between, um, you know, as was just mentioned there. And I think social scientists are trained to, to, to think in the ways that we're, we're discussing there. And I think those perhaps um, who, who do science based degrees or maths based degrees at university, it seems to be lacking. Um, anecdotally, in my undergraduate dissertation, I uh, hosted interviews uh, with, with a load of people that were doing computer science and, you know, I just asked some, some basic questions on the content of the course. And at least in 2019, there was, there was just really lacking any sort of focus on uh, not only ethics, but um, yeah, any kind of governance and, and compliance and um, even even to a degree, the business application of the technology as well. Um, so I think that sort of gap between uh, application and, and development um is, is is a key area um but, but yes it's what same words in a different probably uh, order there so do you mean application as in actually using it as opposed to just developing it like what happens when it's actually used is that what you mean by that yeah what's ha- what, what happens when it's when it's used or on the journey to it being used as well because of course you you should start with the problem statement as opposed to the technology in, in most instances, unless it's for research and development purposes solely. And of course, that's that's really important as well. But from a business user's perspective, um, you know, those consulting skills that we've kind of mentioned there, I think there's there's yeah, it's a balance. If you're not from a technical background, then it's better to, to, to focus um, to, to, to upskill yourself on the opposite side. And, and then if you are from a technical background, of course, the scope is then to improve the um, yeah, other critical thinking skills and, and business related skills that um, yeah, perhaps fall more traditionally into social sciences. Thank you. Um, Bella, or is it Luke? Which one of you is going to go first? Or are you going to do a tag team and do it together? <laughs> what skills do you think we should be teaching? Uh, one of the things that I kind of personally ask my juniors is to do something called value stream mapping. Uh, or human empathy mapping uh, because again and then the second one is uh, always have a mindset to relearn technology is changing like two years back we didn't have chat gpt or a year back we didn't have but now everyone is there but that doesn't mean whatever you have learned is wrong and and uh, you know so, so the key is unlearn what you have learned and then you know, do a value value chain analysis or value stream mapping, understand what problem you're trying to do. Put people in the heart of problem solving rather than, as James said, technology. It's the people who are going to use it. All you're trying to do is you're trying to make someone's life easier, right? So how, how, to, how can you do that? And again, uh, Christina, you were spot on. It's not something rule-based. It comes with experience. You need to have a lot of different scenarios or simulation to even get into that level of maturity. And I, I mean, at least for me, I've been lucky enough to be in 
statistical space with software vendors over the last 10-15 years. Now, now the title is quite glorified, but previously it was just product manager or you know R&D developer or something like that. Uh, but in essence, this this is old wine in a new bottle. We are using data, labeled data. We are trying to you know uh, help decision making much quicker with what we have. So yeah, I I would say value stream mapping or value stream analysis and putting human in the center of design. Marvelous, thank you. Music's my ears to what I do. <laughs> so Luke, what about you? What skills do you think we should be teaching? Um, well, first I uh, do let me know if my internet connection's uh, a bit patchy. It feels like every now and again you sort of uh, slow down and speed up, which I don't think you're doing <coughs> yourself. I think it's on my side. Um, so I think, yeah, just echoing, like, understanding more of the end-to-end. Like I've definitely seen people land and be, have these fabulous technical skills and technical understanding, uh, but they don't really understand how that fits into a broader application chain. So they don't really understand that, you know, it doesn't matter how good your modeling is, it needs to fit into a pipeline somewhere, it needs to be visualized. You know, we, we need to have <laughs> engagement with those teams or you need to be able to build applications yourself uh, to be able to get these things to actually be used. I think also there is often a lot of shock when people come into a regulated industry like financial services where, you know, we what we do underpins the functioning of our world and they uh, are shocked that they spend, you know, 30, 40 percent of the time doing the stuff they learned at school and 50, 60, 70 percent of their time doing governance processes, risk processes, thinking about documentation um, you know, being challenged by model validation on what they're doing, having to go to mandatory trainings, having to learn about, you know, Basel three and Dodd-Frank and, you know, socks, all these all these things that they never expected they would need to do. So I get a lot of disillusioned juniors. Which is sad. I don't like to be the ones that disillusion them. But would I want you guys to <laughs> take these curious minds and sort of teach them in these ways? And probably not. I'd rather they enjoyed themselves. And I mean, I, I, I think governance makes the game fun, like rules make the game fun, not the other way around. Um, but otherwise, um, I think creativity, like understanding how the new wave of AI can be used to increase creativity and like good ways of using it to uh, push forward your ideas and your thinking. I think that's something, I'm, you know, that's a brand new availability to us. And I think it's something that we should be thinking about. Um, how, how much quicker it can do. A good example I heard was um, ideating a business plan um, by asking ChatGPT, like, what sort of markets do you think I could be successful in? Like, what sort of uh, business produce these sort of profit margins? Like, or I'm really passionate about this topic. Like, how could that help me? What businesses could I develop to help in that area? You know, these are these are things that <clears throat> before you'd have to pay some consultancy a lot of money to have that sort of input, whereas now it's all free. Well, free-ish, apart from all the, the loss of our intellectual capital that we're not getting paid for, even though we contributed to it. And um, being more aware of their inherent biases, I'm back onto sort of ethics again. Like uh, in the financial services, we're in the business of making rich people rich and keeping the people who don't have money not having money. Now, that's hard to say, and it's hard to understand that, but it is true. So we need to understand that there are loads of these systems around the world um, that are ever present and they are important to understand. 
So if you're thinking about, you know, lending to people who have moved from country to country historically and still currently in most countries, um, you are given a terrible credit rating when you move countries, which means you're immediately penalized just by not being in the country, regardless of assets, regardless of your, um, you know, your salary, uh, you will not get access to the same money. Right. So we have put a penalty on moving countries on financial expansion of your wealth and also business opportunities and, and everything else. So that penalty will be encoded in our data. So we will not have good examples of people coming in and being new to the country and then paying back loans or, you know, um, developing uh, high market capitalization with whatever company they have. So, you know, when you are developing a data science product, you should be conscious of this and you should understand, like, if the position of your company is to not care, that's fine. It's not your job to decide the position of your company, but it might be your job to encode the company's wishes into your product. And you should be conscious that you're part of that system, right? And and right now, the amount of people, the amount of data scientists where I talk to about these things where they are kind of oblivious to how they are playing a role in this system, it's not their fault. It's not they didn't cause it. You know, they certainly aren't responsible for whatever historic decisions go before it, but they are part of it. And uh, that's quite a shocking realization to many, if not most or nearly all. I've only met a few people that have really already thought about that by the time they start. That reminds me of when Marilena came and talked to my students and they were sitting there with their mouths falling further and further open when they realized how they were credit assessed by companies. And they were really quite shocked. And then all of them are kind of thinking, this is not right. This is not right. And it's like the guys, this is the world. This is how it is. Yeah. So this is what you're walking into. And you can see they really had to take some time to process that. But um, I, I, I think it was an incredibly valuable thing for them to know. It was really valuable for them to understand. And I think I've, I think that's quite an important thing of the financial education for the mm. wider public. It's not whether something is right or wrong. And like, I don't, I don't think it's wrong. It's like, it is data driven. If you have less data on someone, you have less information to decide something about them, positive or negative. It's not like you're making a negative decision. It's just that you cannot necessarily, it would be the same as me as an individual. If I don't have enough information for someone, I probably wouldn't give them a small loan. So I think the important thing there is that wider awareness, wider understanding of how the economic system works, how the different organizations work, also how your data is being used. And that takes us back to Luke's point in terms of what people say they want and what people want might be different things. Uh, and then understanding like the power that us as consumers have, like we have a lot of power with consumer consented data, um, there's a lot of focus on consumer duty now. So there are a lot of initiatives that support that power of the, the wider population as long as we are taking the time and we are given the opportunity because not everyone can just spend every day in, day out just trying to understand how the credit system works and then how consumer consented data works. It's just we as organizations need to be going out and proactively setting these things with a wider audience and mm. then allowing them to pick and choose what might be right for them at a different point in time. Because something that might be right for me today might not be the right product for me 10 years ago or 10 years from now. So that, that, that's a big part of the financial education. 
Yeah. And just to just to add on to what you were saying, like I completely agree on that point of we make decisions based on how much information we have. And I think the data scientists, not just data scientists, but designers, you know, system owners, uh, you know, senior executives within our institutions need to be thinking about in that example of a migrant coming to a new country, what avenue have they given that person to give them information, verified information about their credit history? And I'll tell you the answer. The answer is we've not got a pathway at all. And why is that? It's quite a few people that move around countries. There was quite a lot of money we could be leaving on the table. However, we don't do it because it's technically difficult and it's not in anyone's mind that it's important because these people have been discriminated against. There's no law protecting them because you move your country of your own free will, but they have been discriminated against. So if you say, like, I'm a designer, I'm a data scientist, am I asking a question to be like, hey, I've noticed all people who are migrants never get a loan or I've done some analysis that shows that. What are we doing to help these people? Do we want to help these people? You know, is there a point? And because it's not that hard to think of ways where you could do a data exchange to be like, I recognize these seven international standards for how we code your previous credit ratings. Get me these four reports. I'll put it into a processing chain and we'll get some more information on the system on you. You know, like it's it's not an unsolvable problem. It's just a question of people's willingness and uh, effort and belief that it's the right thing to do. So yeah. if our students had an understanding of these things, then if they end up being the manager, then they are more likely to say, hey, hang on a minute. Don't we need to address this? Yeah, or, 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 or to build something cool, right? Like the, one of the things mm. I love about these people is they come in with so much energy. They want to do cool things. And this is a cool thing. You could say, look, why don't you get involved in some international standard to help people port credit ratings? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of companies looking at how they do it. Ukraine's just done a lot of, lot of work in this space to try and allow the recent, you know, wave of migration so that people can access their credit histories. Like, get involved. Like, help us within the bank to bring that knowledge in. Mm-hmm. You know, why not? Yeah, and what we've, and what we've seen, um, and there are products out there that try to do that. They might not succeed in a large scale, but that, that goes both ways because the more that organizations see consumers asking for that, the more value they see in the proposition and the more effort they're going to put in the proposition. So I don't think it's about not wanting to, to support a specific segment is resources are limited within organizations. And I know that they, our organization has done, has at least two products that I know of to help those near the country and people and so on. But resources are limited. You have to prioritize which products you're going to build and which products you're going to keep developing. And that has to do with how much uptake you see from the population, how much uptake you see from the wider community as well. And again, that goes back to the financial education, that goes back to the wider understanding of the public. So it is it is a cycle that feeds into those decisions of the organizations. If something would give them um, a leading advantage over other organizations that do the same thing, organizations would follow it. It's it's all about the potential, it's all about the opportunity, the market segment, and so on. So I think I think there is a balance there in terms of the practicalities and the, the theory behind it. Bala? So, Bala, you've got something to say, but I'm very conscious that we've only got about 13 minutes left. So... 
I'm going to ask you to say what you have to say. I'm going to very just ask the last question for be a little, almost a sentence each, and then I'm going to throw it open to the floor. Okay. All right. So the one last thing that I would urge is ask ask the students to do hackathons, or I know for our society mm-hmm. you do pro bono, so encourage mm-hmm. them to do because they are given real data and how they interpret and how they problem solve that would be key. Uh, even if they don't get the price, it's the mindset, it's the way of structuring, like, how can I solve it? Because you throw 100 different creative minds, as Luke said, you will get 100 different solutions. Educating which solution was selected, things like that generally helps them a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So my final question kind of feeds into what you've all just said, but um, I'm going to ask you to narrow it now. If you could select one thing that you would love to be able to ask BIFE members, Business Analytics Educators Forum, to include in their courses tomorrow, what would it be? He's going to go first on that. I I can go first. Um, But I want to say that I don't think that everything in education should be linked to the industry. I don't think that everything should be linked to getting a job. So I think it's brilliant having courses that are not, here's what prepares you to get a job. And one of the things that I would flag is communication skills. And that's because you can use them everywhere. It's not just for finding a job, but being able to explain things clearly, articulate your thoughts, structure, structure a a train of thought from beginning to end. I think it's, it's quite a crucial skill and that it can be implemented in, in uh, the academia, personal life, work life. Bring back debating societies. (laughs) <laughs> so um i'll choose for you james uh probably uh if, it, if it's not already there some sort of focus on governance risk and compliance and what that means in different contexts stick it keep it to a sentence thank you <laughs> bella uh probably look for avenues with internship as part of your curriculum where uh, there are industries who are looking for uh, you know, how to apply theoretical knowledge through a practical, like, if, if Luke is happy to, I'm just pulling you in, Luke, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> if UBS is doing something like that, like an early, so our company definitely does. We do an early in career uh, where we do a 12 weeks orientation of very specific areas. So right now, this year, we, we took about low code, no code technology. But again, if there is a way to, you know, uh, specifically horn on AI and ethics, then that, that would be lovely. Thank you. And Luke? Yeah, it'd be that understanding that we work in social groups and for work to be able to happen well in large organisations, there are many relationships that need to be formed and the people in those relationships aren't necessarily like you. Uh, but they do need to like you. Not much, <laughs> but they need to not not like you, if that makes sense. Um, again, the, the people that are drawn to analytics are often of a certain bend. And I say mm-hmm. that with uh, you know being someone who's drawn to analytics. Um, and sometimes I see them struggle um, to do the social side of things, which can really limit their careers. Um, and, you know, I don't want them to be limited. So, yeah, I think trying to work out how do they cross-learn, you know, uh, 
those collaboration skills and dealing with difficult people, I guess, an extension of that communication skill point, Mm -hmm. you know, like it, it is about communicating an idea, but also it's about reading the person and being like, I should shut up now because they don't look like they care. You know, cause that, that can be that can be really important. That actually vindicates the fact that in business schools, an awful lot of the time we do group work and then students just have to get on with the other members of their group. And it causes an awful lot of pain and an awful lot of tears on occasions. But I think it's absolutely vital that they do do that because they learn so much through the process. But it's a bit of a blunt tool. I think maybe we could think a little bit harder about maybe the, the sort of like, you know, personality definitions and getting to think about behavior and maybe bringing a little bit more psychology into our courses perhaps well, I just, I've just seen two people that I remember very strongly one of them in front of a number of people like 20 30 people essentially told the CTO that their architectural ideas were sort of 10 15 years in the past and that led to their managing out of the company like it's not fair but it is did happen and another person sort of just wouldn't drop something that a more senior person thought. And the senior person, I don't know if they were wrong or right or not, but I know that that person did not succeed in their role and they left the company because they weren't happy anymore, which is completely, you know, again, is it fair? Probably not. Is it the reality that more senior people are still humans and if you humiliate them, that <laughs> they're going to retaliate like Unfortunately, we're social beings. You know, we are still apes. Even though the world's gone very fast, our, our biology hasn't. So, um, you know, it's just trying to impress in people that there are certain things that are important in a in a hierarchical large organization. No idea about, you know, flat structured startups. Who knows? Mm. So, Annabella, do we have questions in the chat? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have a couple of questions and, and Bala has kindly addressed them. Uh, so oh. some questions about um, uh, films, uh, documentaries that uh, he would recommend, I think. Um, let me just go back so I can uh, recall that. Uh, but there's also a question before that. Um, so SMA Moin is asking if the video of the session will be available. So I think more in what, where, where it will be is more the question. Right, so. uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping that Mary Guest will help me with that one. Alan, <laughs> hopefully we can put it on the YouTube channel. Is that OK? Uh, yeah, if that's what you'd like, uh, no problem. That would be great. Thank you. Okay, so that's one of the questions. And the other one was, uh, do you have a favourite Gen AI Detectives documentary movie and why? And Bala has kindly already responded that. I don't know if the other uh, speakers want to engage with that. What, what answer that? Left, my, so that would be a fantastic one, yeah. <laughs> my, my company blocks external chats. So um, can you tell me what the answers that have gone already? Oh, uh, so uh, Bala said, funny you ask, and then included the link for the top 10 films about <laughs> artists. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so he, he's, he's, he's kind of, yeah. yeah. What, what, what's the, tell me, tell me the, yeah, 10 things. Tell me, um, tell me what, Google words I should put in. I can't wait to find this. Uh, actually, can I chip in there and just clarify? Because Bala's gone for big, big cinematic entertainment. And, and I do know there are some, uh, also the, on the documentary side, some of the sort of more reflective, 
uh, real world stuff, uh, particularly the Shalina Kantaya one on coded bias, I think was is interesting. But I'm looking for more stuff to make the education more engaging. So any yeah. ideas, guys? You yeah, so if, yeah, no worries. if you have not played Moral Machine, so me and James took a stab of it. Uh, that is one of the best uh, exercise that you can do in group. That's mm-hmm. fun. That's very, very interesting. And then comparing what your suggestions are to others in the different segments, I found that fascinating. I completely agree with Bala. It's a great exercise. I think yeah. I shared one with Christina yourself as well. You Peanut did. butter. You did. Yeah. So yeah. I did a small exercise with uh, year 13 and 14 uh, in a school nearby which was to come up with a peanut butter sandwich recipe. And I had teachers as playing doctors and parents as playing parents and kids as playing kids. And they basically rated some criteria. And I said, like, who do you choose? If you are a manufacturer, what do you do? So <laughs> that, that that again, it's a very, very small exercise, very, very engaging exercise. I would, I would like to make you guys do that. And. Um- well, if the social dilemma is not in the movies, then I definitely highly recommend the yeah. social dilemma. I mean, also like Black Mirror, um, Black Mirror, there are quite a few episodes of that that I've referenced in, um, you know, uh, training sessions that I've given and Love, Death and Robots. It can be a bit spicy. I'd make sure you checked the episode if you wanted to reference. But again, they explore a lot of the ethical conundrums presented in the future challenges that we may or may not have. Um, I know, and I'll try and find it because I was trying to rack my brain, but there is a supplier that I um, did some, I had some meetings explaining what I'd like, where they've done like a little gamification of ethical decisions inside a work environment in a little role play. Don't know if it's free, um, but it is cool. Um, So I can try and find that. Um, But yeah, the the other thing I was going to say is that um, one thing that I think always goes down well is uh, unintended consequence scan. So the idea is you set up a whiteboard, you pose some sort of use case, you know, for example, scraping data to make trading predictions. And um, then you ask people to think through the intended and the unintended consequences of this product. Um, And you think about it through three lenses, typically like from the company's point of view, from a customer's point of view and from a world or markets or, you know, like a broader system point of view. And then with your unintended consequences, if any are negative, uh, you try and identify what groups would be more impacted than others on that. And I think that works really well in a team conversation. If you're using digital whiteboards in your teaching um, tooling kit, uh, it's an excellent exercise for digital whiteboards. Um, yeah, and I've, yeah, like I said, it's, it's given a lot of good insight in the past for me. Uh, if you go to, if you, if you Google consequence scan dot everything, um, they have a wonderful framework, which I sort of copied and abused, um, you know, which has all the teaching and the educational materials and handouts and whatnot. Thank you. So I think that's that one. I'm going to pass to another comment. Uh, and this is from Martin, one of our lovely students here at UE. And he says, I think we are still not at the stage of understanding how young people, students are using AI or Gen AI nowadays and moreover, ethics behind it. Uh, I'm actually a full-time final year student uh, on HRM at UE, but I'm also a member of the research team at the Institute of Social Sciences at the University of Lublin in Poland. We are exploring students' attitudes towards AI to understand what motivates them to use and how they are using taking into account cultural background, uh, which is something that you guys have mentioned as well. It makes a massive difference 
um, in terms of what you're defining as ethical or non-ethical, uh, depending on where you are in the world and the context of where you live. Thanks, Marsan. Um, uh, and uh, Mary, our guest, has also added two films here, so Objectified and Coded Bias as suggestions. Um, I think, we, do we get the chat as a, a transcript or a, if it would be no, nice, I'll, I'll I, try I don't, to. I think it it shows in, in the recording if we download the recording as well, but it doesn't come as a transcript. Mm. Um, I can try to, I'll collate, I'll try to collate uh, all the information Bala has kindly provided. He provided a lot of documents that will be quite interesting for uh, like everyone. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's just to confirm that uh, they want so, us to email the link to everyone and we don't have more questions in there. I do have one question myself, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking. Correct. Uh, I'll just start with saying thank you. You guys are absolutely brilliant. And this was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly what we needed and what we wanted. Uh, and uh, I felt quite validated with the fact that the assignment in my operations module is asking students to pretend they're consultants. So now I feel fully validated that this is what they actually need to do. Uh, because I also believe in that. My, my concern is always to help them interpret and understand, critically analyze and understand the implications of things. That's what I always focus, because no matter how the world changed, develop, developing those skills and that, the, the, that capability will help them in the future in whatever uh, concept they will work. But my question to you is regarding what are, you think are the biggest dangers in AI, because um, I was reading, and I'm going to say his name wrong, but bear with me, is Mo Gadwat. You know, the guy that wrote the book on the equation for happiness, and he wrote one about uh, AI as well. And he was talking about uh, this danger of we're the ones teaching it. So if the people that are teaching AI, which is all of us, have no ethics, uh, and what they're teaching it, uh, and how do we control what it delivers us? So how do you feel or what do you think that we can do as educators in this space to help our students understand that and, and help them use it right, you know? Like, what can we do with that? I, I just have to say, unfortunately, I do have to, to drop, but I've really thoroughly enjoyed it, and thank you so much for having me along. If I was thinking about it, the thing I think about most is how it's going to change our ways of working and what um, what that means for, our, uh, you know, the people that are employed doing certain jobs that may be uh, not so required once we get the AI to the place where it's performing those jobs really well. But anyway, I'll have to say that and duck out. Such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you so much for coming. Does anybody else have anything to add on that one? Yeah, Annabelle, if I can... Quickly response to that. Um, I had a very interesting conversation um, a couple of days earlier um, with Paul Sweeney, uh, for, and he was mentioning a good example about how a tax company used Gen AI for their tax people to just quickly get some answers and then they would proofread them. And I think that's the balance. It's not about whether something is ethical or not. I think it's about the impact of what you're using it for and how blindly you trust the responses. So I think it's different if you go, can you give me a few ideas for a gift for a family member? 
And then you, you use that as a, as a starting point for the brainstorming session and then you pick a gift versus can you tell me something that might be dodgy or something that might be unethical and so on. So there is accountability on us as users. There's accountability on like, obviously, whoever is building and maintaining it to put some controls in place. But it's also a lot of accountability on us as users on what we choose to use these tools for and then how critically we accept these answers as the right answers and we don't we don't think about them. We don't we don't build on them. Absolutely. Thank you. I don't know if James and Bala want to say something else. Mine's probably similar there to, uh, to Marilena's in terms of um, one of my big worries is automation bias. Um, things probably in a similar breath, you know, when if we get to a point where we're over reliant on the technology, then we lose a lot of the critical thinking skills, uh, especially if it's if you're indoctrinated into a, a young age, you know, with it. We're in a generation of iPad kids now. Um, I think it, the technology has got some great potential. Uh, to, to be used in education for, for young adults, but but also you know if if you outsource too much of your decision making, do you then lose that um, you know that ability to a degree there? Um, so so probably and and then there's, there's also the issue of feedback loops as well. So if we were continuously using generative AI, large language models um, to to regurgitate pre-existing knowledge, then where's the new information coming from? It's just going to be Put in, uh, cutting cut the same cake in different ways. Um, so yeah, that's probably two of mine. Yeah, just Thanks. reinforcing what you said, uh, James. It's again, uh, when you're doing something for your own decision, the impact is you and your family. But when you're doing that for an enterprise, you are thinking about impacting a lot of people who you really don't know. Uh, yeah, probably human in loop might address a lot of that question uh, but it's not always the right answer it's all subjective right so if i'm doing something if someone has built a human in loop it comes to my screen i might still think it is right i might say yes but again it's 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 translating the value of the community or the organization and how much i understand that context and how much the organization so Accountability, no matter how much data we have, how much AI we have, accountability is still to be with one person, right? Someone has signed off it. Someone is saying like, yeah, if something goes wrong, my job is online. And that understanding needs to be there. Sorry, I have put like three, four things in one, one statement. Thank you so much. Sorry, I was very cheeky. I put my question in there. I don't know if there's anyone that wants to raise their hand and wants to speak instead of writing uh, the question. I am aware that some people might not uh, have access to the chat as well. And once again, we have a, a question from SMA Moy. Um, this uh, session is running is run by BIFE, so um, Business Analytics Educators Forum. Um, that was the question. Uh, so just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> And yes. uh, is there any other any other questions? Anyone else wants to raise your hand, ask anything? Should they be worried it's going to take their jobs? No. So, Christina, I've just created, uh, attached a research link uh, on on. It's a beautiful BBC research link. I use this with a lot of my users because uh, I work with a lot of financial team, and they they, they generally their worry is, oh, AI is going to take the job. 
it's not it's not AI. It makes it difficult job. to get them to use it, doesn't it? Because they they, yeah. they go like, no, no, if I use it and I'm going to make it work well, it's going to take my job. Yeah. <laughs> so people who are going to use AI to do that job is going to take your job. It's not AI <laughs> going to take your job. <laughs> yeah, fair play. That's exactly what I say to my students. Yeah. So is that everything from the floor? It would seem so. So once again, can I say thank you very, very much to Luke, Shailene had to go, to James, to Marilena and to Bala for being so wonderfully engaging and to regularly engage with people outside of their immediate network um, to try to educate people about what we need to know about analytics and AI. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful hosting you today and it's been a great life talk. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so Thanks much, for the invite. Thank you. Cheers. And thanks everyone for attending. We look forward to see you in our future events. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, click the buttons for more.